Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of the Lashing Out Podcast. Again, this is your co-host, Kevin Quigley. I swear Jared is still employed by Nittany Sports now. Uh, he's just a very busy man. Joining me this week for the first time, also at Nittany Sports Now writer, Joe Smeltzer. Joe, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. Glad you could join us. Uh, I'm sure the listeners are glad to not hear me ramble on by myself for uh, 15 to 18 minutes. So let's get right to it. Uh, it seems Penn State's home schedule is really shaping out. We got kickoff times for five of the seven home games. Uh, we, we've Jared and I have already talked. West Virginia, 730 on NBC. I think a big announcement is going to be uh, the noon kickoff against Delaware. We knew that was going to be a noon game. But it's on Peacock. It is officially on the cock. Uh, uh, internet. It's going to be a soon to be a paid internet subscription service. Uh, it used to be if you were an Xfinity customer, you got that thing for free. Even Xfinity's getting away from that, so that's going to probably piss a lot of Penn State fans off, especially probably the east side of Pennsylvania who all had Xfinity and Comcast, uh, who used to get that for free. Uh, that's a hot Philadelphia is a hotbed for Xfinity, and now it's going to be strictly streaming. Yeah, they can listen to Steve Jones. It'll be fun. Yeah, I just I don't know how I feel about college football going to a full streaming platform. I know the Pac-12 was potentially talking about Amazon or Apple, and really, the Pac-12 doesn't have any suitors. So Apple or Amazon could swoop in and pick up that TV deal for practically no money. Uh, it doesn't even sound like ESPN is interested in keeping that Pac-12. So Pac-12 after dark may die on ESPN, but we could get it on Amazon or Apple TV. Yeah, and that that's just how all sports are going. You know, you got MLB having games start before noon on Brain Cram for a second. Amazon, I believe. Uh, um, or maybe it's Peacock, I don't know. But anyway, you, one of the streaming services has MLB games start at 1130 uh, the NFL, you got Al Michaels, one of the best announcers of all time. He left his gig at Sunday Night Football to announce Thursday Night Games on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's just everywhere, and people can feel however they want to feel about it, but it's not its not a, just a college football thing. All sports are going to streams, and it's, it's going to blow up, I'm sure, even more uh, within the next five years or so. Yeah, you just – you hate to see it. Penn State's such a rural area. Uh I would say broadband access across the greater Pennsylvania is probably less than the national average. Um, so I think a lot of the central Pennsylvania folks who maybe don't have access to internet, maybe don't have the best cell service. Uh, I, I know all the kids in Altoona when I was at Penn state, if you had T-Mobile, you didn't get service. Uh, like you had one yeah. tower in state college for T-Mobile and obviously that didn't reach all the way down to Altoona. So those kids were Wi-Fi only on their phones. So it seems like a bold strategy. I'm not saying no one in Pennsylvania has broadband access, but to go strictly streaming in a state that's probably, I don't want to say it's below, it's at the bottom of the country in broadband access. It just seems like a risky, a risky side to take, but that's what happens when you go with NBC. They're trying to push this Peacock streaming service. They're not making any money. It's been what, two years for Peacock. They haven't, they haven't made a dime. So, I mean, they're scrounging to get this thing off the ground. And I think it's going to disadvantage some of those, the most passionate fans that Penn State has. Yeah, but if there's a game to be disadvantaged, I mean, this Delaware game, people would probably tune out by halftime anyway. So uh, the other games on NBC, West Virginia, that's going to be 
State on cable, Michigan State on cable, UMass potentially theoretically could be on Peacock. They haven't announced the channel for that yet. Um, the November games are still up in the air, but if there's a game to be on a streaming service, I think you probably want Delaware or UMass to be on that, to be those games, and Delaware's going to be one of them. Uh, UMass might be the other one, and I'm very happy that Delaware will not be at 330, because as a writer, I think this is kind of going on to a different topic, but I think as a fan, 330 kicks are the best games to go to. As a media member, they're the worst, because your whole day's shot, right? And night games are one thing, you know, you have so much time during the day to get other things done, do whatever, but like... For free for the games, it's still early enough to where you have to plan your whole day around that game, but it's late enough to where you can't do anything after it. So, um, if there's any game to be at free for the Delaware would have been the worst possible one, and I'm glad that's at noon. Not thrilled that UMass is a free for the kick, but it is what it is. As far as our writer schedules go, uh, it's this is pretty convenient for me. Ohio State's most likely going to be a noon that hasn't been announced yet. Michigan's at noon. Delaware's now at noon. Illinois is at noon. I don't know if I'm going to be at that one in person. We do have a stringer in the Midwest who does a great job. Uh, Dan Angel, shout out. But uh, Northwestern's probably going to be an earlier kick too. Uh, so we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll just have to see how that plays out. So. Yeah, Illinois, at Illinois, could be a little bit of a, a tricky game early in the season. It's week three. Um, that's going to be the older, yeah. that's going to be the big noon kickoff. Illinois coming off a pretty decent year last year, uh, big noon kickoff. So another big noon kickoff. Obviously, Penn State's going to have the big noon kickoff against Michigan. I don't know. Maybe Ohio State is the big noon kickoff, or maybe it becomes the CBS featured week. I haven't looked at the SEC schedule to see what the CBS is going to do there. Yeah, I think UMass UMass at three thirty, um, maybe a Big Ten game. They don't have any games on Big Ten Network announced so far. Uh, so that could be their yeah, one their one obligation on the Big Ten Network this year. And uh, if in case you haven't followed all the TV circus uh, that Jared and I have talked about the last couple of weeks, Penn, uh, Penn State and the rest of the Big Ten will not be on ESPN this year until the bowl season. Uh, the, the contract is Fox, CBS, and NBC, all three of them. The mess that that is, we've already talked about, but no games on ESPN unless they get to unless they get to a bowl and Obviously, the, the college football playoffs, ESPN. So, all the bowls and the college football playoff at ESPN, but no regular season games for Penn State will be on ESPN. Yep. Uh, and that's a shame to an extent, but Penn State's going to be in a bowl game, right? So, they're probably going to be on ESPN at some point. Maybe the college football playoff. There's definitely a possibility. So, yeah. Were a good yeah thing having, of- not having power. Yeah, not having Fowler and Hurst Street calling a regular season Penn State game, that's that's a bummer that I think people are still getting used to. So Yeah. And it's not gonna it's not gonna rule out college game day coming to campus. Obviously they're not gonna come for the Michigan because it is big noon kickoff. Fox will be there. But um ESPN still comes to the biggest college football game on the weekend for college game day. It doesn't have to be a game that they televise. I mean, frequently they're down for Alabama LSU, and that's always a three thirty CBS kick. So uh, with that, we're going to head to the second segment. Uh, we've had enough. We've beaten this TV horse to death. And uh, we'll be right back after a short break on the Lashing Out podcast on the Nifty Sports Now Network. 
Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. I'm Kevin, joined by NSN's Joe Smelter. Joe, Penn State, the Big Ten, they've been playing nine conference games since 2016. We're in year, what, seven, eight of that? The SEC still has the SEC bye week right before the biggest weekend of the college football season. They play an eight-game conference schedule because of that SEC bye week where they play the Alabama school, the deaf and the blind. Uh, no offense to those of the deaf and the blind, but they are not Alabama football. And uh, here we are. They still can't decide on whether or not they're going to play eight or nine games. Yeah, and I I would prefer eight games generally because that gives you an extra non-conference uh, slot to fill it with a compelling non-conference opponent. But in the SEC's case, uh, and Alabama is the school that, you know, gets picked on the most for scheduling that cupcake late in the year. But every SEC team does that. I mean, Texas A&M played UMass, I think, the second to last, maybe the third to last week of the season. Hey, last that's year. a formidable so opponent for Penn State this year. Don't go there. We, we can't attack yeah. UMass so far um, yet. We can't attack UMass yet. Yeah, that's uh, that's the homecoming game. And I think there's a good reason that's the homecoming game. But, uh. Yeah, I think um, in the SEC's case, it would be better to go to nine because you would eliminate what's become a clear pattern of playing um, the Chattanoogas, the UL Monroe's. I know UL Monroe did beat Alabama way back when. Um, eliminate those opponents. But I think generally speaking, um, having eight conference games allows you to schedule a compelling non-conference opponent, and it's kind of up to the schools to decide who that non-conference is going to be. But the SEC teams decide to schedule um, basically a glorified bye week instead of a non-conference game that would make fans want to watch. So in the SEC's case, I think less is more, and I would like to see them go to eight. And I don't know why it takes so long to make a decision. I think uh, whatever they decide could be decided in, I guess, a less complicated manner. But we'll just see how it plays out. But as far as the SEC goes, I would rather eight than nine. So. Yeah, and the ACC is also eight, so let's not just hate on the SEC. ACC is also eight. Um, I've talked with Jared about this before because I went to did go to Clemson. South Carolina, the state, requires the big Clemsons and the South Carolinas to play an in-state opponent. So if you're going to pay opponent to come in and get their face kicked in, you, you, you do that to your in-state rivals. So like Clemson played Citadel and Furman. Ironically, yeah. the Furman quarterback at the time was taking engineering classes at Clemson because Furman had an agreement with Clemson to have engineering classes at Furman, but accredited degree through Fur- at Clemson and accredited degree through Furman. Big old mess, but the, you can still do that on a nine-game conference schedule. You have twelve weeks. You play your one in-state opponent. You play your one compelling. Clemson always plays South Carolina, Penn State. They could reignite the pit rivalry. They have West Virginia. Obviously, we know why they don't do the pit rivalry. It's it's that pit doesn't have their own stadium and it's not very big. Um, but yeah, you can't playing UT Chattanooga in week ten of the season right before you play LSU or Georgia. It's just it's a tune-up game. I get it. Yeah. These guys are student athletes. They got to get healthy. But man, the Big Ten's been doing this for how long? Excuse me, the Pac-12 the big 12, all of them are doing the the nine game. And it's really a disadvantage to Penn state to Ohio state to Michigan, because they have all of these locked in opponents. They have 
they because of the nine game, they have two locked in opponents a year, not one. The SEC and the ACC only have one locked in opponent. So Penn State is locked into playing Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State every year. Michigan State obviously pops every three or four years and being good, but it's really a disadvantage for the for the schools that do play the nine for the conferences that don't play nine. So not that the NCAA ever does anything, but there needs to be something that says every conference should play nine games. Like it just needs to be standard across the board. If not, I mean, we are going to get eventually to the all power five schedule with maybe one non power five game on the schedule for everybody, but we're a long ways from there, but there just, there needs to be some sort of schedule unity there. Yeah. I think that's pretty well said. Um, it would just like make it easier to follow too. Like every conference plays nine games. Like in the NFL, you know, um, you get every division has four teams, and every team plays the divisional opponent twice, and that's simple. That's easy to follow. Um, college, it's a little different. It's like you know, one conference does this, another conference does that. I think if nothing else, um, it would kind of simplify things a little bit. Um, for the college football fans, if every conference played nine games, it'd just be, you know, or nine or eight games or however many games, just have the same number. Yeah, and it's the NFL, like, like you mentioned, the NFL, it's easy. You play six division games. You play four division games of an AFC. Like, if you're in the AFC, you play a division from the AFC, a division from the NFC, and then you play two opponents based off, I think it's two, two opponents based off of your division standings. Uh, from last year to this year, you play that opponent, and then I guess there's one free for all game now. I think that adds up to 17. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not an engineering after an engineer after 6 p.m. So can't do math on the fly mm-hmm. here. But uh, yeah, if, if there's some sort of schedule unity, you know, maybe everybody does get a cupcake state in week 10. I mean, that's it'd be a hard sell to you know bring people up to Penn State from UT Chattanooga on. Uh, October 31st or November 15th, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Penn state schedule this year, there's two cupcake opponents. And I don't remember the last time that happened because last season, I don't think you could say Penn state had any cupcakes because, or maybe, uh, maybe you can throw central Michigan in there, but Ohio ended up winning 10 games and Penn state, it, Seemed like a cupcake game because they won 46-10, but Ohio ended up being a pretty darn good football team, ended up being a conference champion. So um, this year it's an interesting element with Delaware and UMass, and I don't think it's good for the fan, but I understand why James Franklin wants to do that. And after James Franklin said after the Auburn game last year that he doesn't want Penn State playing SEC teams anymore, I think – his stance on non-conference scheduling is pretty clear based on that. So, yeah, this this 2023 will be Penn State's fourth straight year playing a Power Five. The previous three were a Big Ten. Then obviously they get West Virginia for the Big Twelve. So Penn State, instead of scheduling Cupcake Week One, has scheduled either a Big Ten conference opponent or they've gone out and they've gotten that Power Five. They played Auburn the last two years in Week Two, Week Three, something like that. Last year was Week Two, right? No, last year was Week Three. 2021 was Week three as well so yep. some week three power fives they had a cupcake state in there week two and then they got tuned up um so yeah i i like what penn state's doing they are 
they're trying to reach out. The Big the Big Ten in general is trying to reach out, get those meaningful games early in the season. Because, I mean, the SEC and the ACC always have, like, the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, and then there's always the Jerry World kickoff game and all those other things. So the Big Ten is trying to go to that model. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. I I think there are a lot of yeah. changes coming up in the next two or three years to the schedule. of the, Something's yeah. got to give. It's It's – from Penn State's end, it's made for some very stressful but very exciting football in week one. Because going back the past three years, obviously 2020 is a game that Penn State fans will like to forget. Um, Michael Penix to the pylon. We could have a whole a game, episode. A game they won. Let's be real. A, a yeah. fish, bad officiating aside. We'll talk about bad officiating later. Uh, but bad officiating yeah, aside, we'll, they won that we'll game. Talk about, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Devin Ford later who – could have prevented all of that by simply going down, but that's we're getting off track. Uh, but yeah, 2020, very exciting football game. Uh, 21 game against Wisconsin, Jaquan Brisker, Jair Brown were absolute dogs in that game. Penn State ended up winning a very sloppy but very entertaining dogfight, uh, in Madison. And then last year, Purdue, uh, Kayvon Lee's big moment before he ended up transferring to Mississippi State, but. That was an epic game and one of Sean Clifford's finest, one of his worst and best moments of Penn State when he threw to pick six and then redeemed himself with probably the best drive of his Penn State career. But yeah, this year's going to be different. I don't think Penn State West Virginia is going to be particularly close. We could talk about the matchups. We have months to talk about the matchups, but I don't think you're going to be getting that thrilling fourth quarter that we've had the past few years, week one. But uh, yeah, at least it's a power five opponent, if nothing else. So. Hey, Pat McAfee says otherwise. He's he says West Virginia is going all the way, winning the Natty. So he might be a little bit of a <laughs> delusional alumni. Um, but uh that's that's neither here nor there. That's for that's for uh that's for some talk in August. But uh talking about Natties, another Penn State team had that opportunity this week, this past weekend. Uh, a little bit of controversy in that game. So we'll talk about that after this short break on the Lashing Out Podcast and Now Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast on Disney Sports Now Network. I'm Kevin Quigley. He's Joe Smeltzer. Joe, Penn State played Duke this weekend in Philadelphia on Saturday, had a chance to advance to the national championship game. And then, as it seems with every Penn State sport, they get absolutely robbed by the officials. Yeah, um, that's that's a good way. Well, I don't know. I think they got robbed by the officials, but I think more so they got robbed by the government body of the NCAA. How was that play not reviewable? That's just ridiculous. I mean, I as um as Penn State's head coach said after the game, the call was not malicious. I, the officials had no intention of boning Penn State. It, it was a mistake made by three guys, and an easy mistake to make because you know obviously looking at replay, it's. We all saw it. His foot was in the crease and it shouldn't have counted. But in real time, was it obvious? I, I don't think. Um, But that should be, yeah, that's got to be reviewable. And it wasn't. And that's the NCAA. I don't think, I think you can blame the officials to a bit of an extent because, you know, it. your job is to get it right. They didn't get it right. 
But I don't think you can blame Duke. Like, I, I'm seeing a lot of hate towards Duke from Penn State fans over the past few days. Like, what for? They, they didn't make the call. They just played the game, and it was a hard-fought game by both ends, and Duke ended up winning. It's not Ohio State or Michigan or any school that you're obligated to hate. It's Duke. It's a random school as far as Penn State's concerned. So why people were so happy that Duke lost and why people were so enraged at Duke for celebrating the win, I don't really know. But yeah, I, I think this is simply just a failure on the NCAA. And I think it's a I think it's kind of proof that the NCAA doesn't take lacrosse as seriously as it should. Because obviously in football that that never happens. Basketball that never happens. Really any sport that doesn't happen. But lacrosse is a lower level sport. And I think when less people are paying attention, or at least you think less people are paying attention, more nonsense is likely to ensue. And that that was nonsense. Not the fact that the referees missed it, not the fact that the guy shot the ball with his foot in the crease, but because the NCAA did not have that be reviewable. Just just absurd. Yeah. Uh, so it's a way to put it. So in case you're not following lacrosse like Joe and I were, Grant, I've I became a lacrosse fan on Saturday. I, I watched the ins like with most uh, other Penn State sports that are not football. I just watch uh, the postseason only. Uh, Penn State tied it up late, five minutes left in the game at fifteen. Had a power play or the lacrosse equivalent of a power play towards the end with about a minute left. They got a thirty-second man advantage. Failed to score. Failed to register a shot over the final minute of the game game goes to overtime duke i believe duke won the first face off both teams went scoreless and then on the third possession of lacrosse or on the third possession of the of the overtime segment garrett ledman made a i mean he made a spectacular play let's not discredit discredit him at all uh stepped on the crease no, that's in, a good point. in lacrosse the paint is defined as the creek crease any part of your foot is in the crease it is waved off his note is considered not a goal however in ncaa lacrosse there is no replay in the regular season there's only replay in the postseason i believe they said for timing is the only thing that's reviewable so that is, you're you're 100 right that is 100 ncaa for not make and granted you don't want every goal reviewed i get it there was 31 goals scored the game hey i'm an engineer i did math after 6 p.m aren't you proud of me um but an overtime deciding goal that needs to be reviewable. There needs to be some sort of challenge. Those officials made that call in 0.2 seconds and they went out of their lickety split. I mean, they were in their locker room faster than the ESPN was able to put the replay up on the screen because they come back for the replays and they're like, Oh, the officials are already in the locker room. So yeah, but I mean, we got to give credit to yeah. Duke Duke. Duke was manhandling Penn State for a while. Penn State was was losing two out of every three faceoffs. Duke was getting so many extra possessions. Penn State's goalie uh, had his excuse me had his name up. Uh, I forgot it. Uh, da, da, da. Uh, Jack Frason, Frasian, I think it was Frasian. Uh, I'm gonna butcher that. He was standing on his head. He was doing the cross equivalent of saving, standing on his head, saving well above expected goals. Uh, for lacrosse, save percentage nowhere near what it is for hockey. Um, keeping Penn State in the game, Penn State finally won some faceoffs, finally tied it up, and yeah, it just it's gut wrenching. That team had zero expectations after last year. They make it to the NCAA tournament. They make it to the Final Four, 
and just get crushed. And it seems like the way that Duke trounced Duke, or the, excuse me, the way that Duke got trounced by Notre Dame in the national championship game. Congrats to them on winning their national championship. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad Penn State wasn't there to get embarrassed by that. So um, that wraps up lacrosse. And the only other big news that we have this week is uh, Devin Ford speaking to Notre Dame. Transfers over there. Had a really good Penn State career. I loved him out of the, out of the backfield catching passes. I feel like that was like, you know what I mean? Like if you had him, Singleton yeah. and Allen, you put him in in third down as a pass catching running back, like just that's just bu- warm butter on toasted bread, just smooth as smooth as all get out. And it's just it's unfortunate that he transferred. I understand it's a loaded backfield. His college career is winding down. He's got to make a play for the NFL draft and transfers to Notre Dame to do so. Yeah, and Devin Ford obviously loved Penn State, and James Franklin loved Devin Ford. That was one of his favorite players, and he actually said Devin Ford's one of my favorites. That's a direct quote from him after a press conference. Uh, the transfer made sense. I mean, you got the two-headed monster, Singleton Allen. You had Kevon Lee there uh, last year. He's not there anymore, but he was there at the time, and he was competition for Devin Ford. I think um, it wasn't a surprise Devin Ford transferred. Uh, it was probably the biggest surprise was that he stayed as long as he did because obviously Noah Kane left, uh, Ricky Slade left, Journey Brown left, not by choice, but he had to retire from football because of his medical condition. Uh, but Ford's the one that stayed, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think the fact that he left in the middle of the season was a little bizarre, and Franklin saying that Ford left, to pursue academics and then Ford ending up still playing football the next year. Anyway, that's people are going to ask questions about that, but you know, good for Devin Ford. Uh, good that he's going to finish his football career and go to a pretty darn good program in Notre Dame. Um, And I just I hope the best for him. Devin Ford from my limited interaction with him as a Penn state reporter, he's a good kid, hard worker, a great teammate, a veteran presence. He'll be entering his fifth year of college football. And yeah, you just, uh, you wish the guy well, and I'm sure James Franklin will wish him well too. Yeah. And, and that, that, that backfield is even more crowded this week, this year. Again, you have Allen and Singleton Potts is there coming in from Minnesota and then yep. what London Montgomery, Cam Wallace, and then a couple, Emil Davis, Tyler Holdsworth, they're both redshirt sophomores. Tank Smith still on the roster. I mean, there's a, there are so many people back there. It just makes sense for him. And I, I do think he stayed for athletics. He didn't transfer until after the academic year was over. So props to him. He probably got his degree from Penn State. It's going to be yep. grad school at Notre Dame, getting a master's degree if the NFL doesn't work out for him. So, uh, Devin Ford, thanks for the thanks for the fun times at Penn State. And, yeah. I think it doesn't. I don't think I can crystal ball. I don't think I can root for him. Yeah, I can root for him at Notre Dame. I don't think I can root for Notre Dame. Yeah, I think it's probably harder to root for Notre Dame basketball for Penn State fans now than it is for football. But uh, but yeah, I I think if Devin Ford knew had a crystal ball and knew that Kevon Lee was going to go down and knew that Tank Smith was going to end up being Penn State's. RB free by the end of the year, he probably would have stayed the whole year. Um, but obviously nobody has a crystal ball and you know things happen. And I mean, best case scenario for Devin Ford is he was a first string running back. Uh so uh yeah, I totally get why he left. And you know, yeah, just just a good guy all around. And the lawn boys didn't last long, but they they made an impact when they did. 
when they were at Penn State in 2019. And Devin Ford's forever going to be a part of that. And he was the last man standing from that 2019 Lawn Boys group. So, yeah. Yeah. And just like the Lawn Boys time was up, Joe, I think our time is up for this week. I don't know if it was a long time. I don't know if it's going to be a lasting memory. I don't know if we'll go down in history as a Penn State great running back uh, or a Penn State great podcast. But uh, thanks for joining us this week. Maybe Jared's back next week or maybe, Joe, you're filling in again. So uh, that's it for us this week on the Lashing Out Podcast brought to you by Nittany Sports Now Network. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>